Hey guys, this episode of Diary of a Working Actress is sponsored by MoviePass. MoviePass is America's number one movie subscription service. If you want to see all of the hottest films of the season at one low rate, head on over to moviepass.com slash partner slash working actress to start your subscription today. Now, let's get into the show. Welcome back to Diary of a Working Actress. This is entry number 27. I'm your host, Iman N. Milner. Uh, So much to cover on the Hollywood Roundup this week, so let's just jump right into it. Thank you to everyone who came to the Merge Summit, who I got to meet, who told me you listened to the podcast. That's amazing. If you don't know what the Merge Summit is, it is a um, weekend of events and panels with some actors who are on TV shows or some that are in film. And then there are also people from behind the scenes, producers, directors, um, industry, bigwigs, casting directors. Really, really amazing weekend. And I got to be a part of it this year by being a mentor. I got to speak one-on-one with people about their journeys, about things they were worried about in their journeys. And it was a really amazing time and I got to meet some of you who listen to this podcast and that was amazing for me so thank you for coming out um, but I did take away a couple of things about people preparing themselves in the right ways for this industry I was really really surprised that some people asked me um, very kind of elementary entry-level questions about um, presenting themselves as artists and um, even very simple things like how your headshot should be formatted, how your resume should be formatted. And I I hope that when you're going to panels and workshops and casting director sessions and all these wonderful types of um, outlets that are there for you to learn more about the industry, that you are putting your best foot forward. Because I would hate for anybody, especially anybody who's listening to this show, to be spending money and dedicating your resources in areas that are not really going to benefit you. Because the thing about the Merge Summit that I think is great is that if you're a person who's already working in the industry, there's a lot of help and a lot of advice about going to the next level, which I'm going to give some of the takeaways that I really, really liked. Um, But basic things like headshot formation and resumes and how that should be formatted and what should be on your resumes, especially under special skills. Um, I'm going to briefly go over that and then I'm going to tell you to go to um, my website where you can see headshot examples or resume examples. You can also send me an email and I will send you a copy of my own so that you can use it as a good guiding post for yourself. I'm willing to do that because I met so many people last weekend who literally had no clue about how they should put their best foot forward in this industry, especially when you're looking for representation or when you're just making moves without representation. You are are your own publicist. You are your own agent. You are your own manager. So you should always be doing what's best for you and not just be out here kind of, you know, free balling it. Um, So I want to, you know talk briefly about that. Now your headshots. Now, if you're just starting out, 
if you're maybe like 11 or something, which you're probably not listening to the show if you're that age, then you can use some random picture. If you're young, very, really, really young, sure. Maybe you can use some random picture. It really won't matter. Um, but even kids in this business have very professional headshots. Your headshot should not be a selfie from Instagram. Maybe that seems obvious to some people, but for some people it isn't. I, I saw some selfies last weekend. Those are not headshots. They are personal pictures that are great for the internet. They're even great for someone to be looking on your Instagram profile and saying, oh, I like this or, well, this girl looks fun. But it is not professional to take a selfie into a room as a headshot or for it to be sent through the mail for an agent. Just so you know, I'm going to briefly do that. Uh, resume. Um, your resume should have... Here's the thing. Err on the side of just putting a few things in each category. And when I say category, I mean if you have your resume broken up into theater, TV, and film. Err on the side of having too little. Because if, if the things that you have on there are when you played the lead in something or you had a recurring on a show, then that's great. That's more, to me, that'll get you further than putting a whole bunch of random things on. I met people who had things going back to high school. I mean, if you're an adult, you shouldn't have anything, to me, past college. And the only reason you should have anything in college is if you worked at a theater, a notable theater, um, or worked on a notable film, or worked on a film where you were the lead and you carried the film and it's on the internet and people can see it, or it went to theaters and had distribution that's the only way you should be going back into things that you did in college. Um, but high school, middle school, elementary school should not be on your resume at this point um, at all. Unless, of course, you know, you're Drew Barrymore and you did E.T. when you were three. Well, then that's different. But um, anything outside of really major work that you did when you were a child, I don't think it has any place in your resume as an adult. Um, and that brings me to special skills. Don't have anything under special skills that if someone asked if you could do it, that you could, you wouldn't feel comfortable doing it. Um, there was a young lady who had uh, praying under her special skills. And I'm not making fun of that because praying is weird or anything like that. But to have on your special skills in your resume for acting that praying is a special skill and when I ask you okay well what's that about you say oh speaking in tongues if you're not comfortable doing that in a room full of strangers after you've done some scene that may be secular or obscene or whatever you never know what you're auditioning for if you're not comfortable and just breaking out in tongues right there then you probably should take it off of your resume as a special skill that goes for anything else that's weird like a one-handed cartwheel or a headstand if you've only done a headstand once in yoga class with the help of a yoga instructor don't put it under your special skills because somebody might ask you to do it so everything on your resume should be something that looks good um if you have any questions about that once again you can email me at diary of a working actress at gmail.com and i will send you a copy of a resume. I will also ask some friends of mine if I can use copies of their resume to send to you because I want you guys to be out there doing the best work and putting your best foot forward at all times. 
And I was honestly just surprised at how many people needed those basic entry level um, things explained. Not that it's bad. It's better to have the question and come and seek the help and seek the advice. But before you spend $150 or $200 to go to these weekends um, in which you're not really going to always get the one-on-one attention that people this weekend were able to get, I want you to be going into these panels and into these workshops and spending your money to, and having a foundation that's already pretty settled before you go getting information about how to make your own films when you haven't figured out how to, to format a resume or a headshot and um, don't really know how to pitch yourself. So that's that's my big thing on the Merge Summit. But there were a lot of wonderful, wonderful panels. I got to poke in on the panel with um, John David Washington from Ballers, Cornelia Smith Jr. from Scandal, Lorenz Tate, um, Sinqua Wallace, who was from On Power. He played 50 Cent's son on Power. Um, so there were a bunch of young actors and Lorenz who still looks like he's 23. And there were so many wonderful, wonderful things, but I took away um, one particular thing from Cornelius who said that every morning he gets up and he meditates. And the reasoning behind it was that he said he wanted to be the thermostat and not the thermometer, meaning he wanted to be constant in every temperature, temperature being any situation he's thrown into, any bad times or good times or whatever. He wanted to remain constant in his own you know, um, mood and his own mental state, emotional state, spiritual state. He wants to be immovable. And I thought that was great. Um, and I have now put it into my brain, into my own thinking. I don't wake up at six o'clock to meditate, but I do um, want to create a, a habit for myself. I think habits are always seen as bad things. And I love that he was speaking about making a habit of doing good things for yourself all the time and, and making um, a ritual for yourself of whatever you do, whether it's you get up in the morning. For me, it's easier for me to get up in the morning and journal. The first thing on my mind, I would just write. It's easy for me to, if I had a dream about something, to get up and write it down and record how I'm feeling when, I'm, when my mind is fresh and when I haven't read someone's tweets or looked at an Instagram. These are just my thoughts. And... I thought that was great. Um, and I also like John David Washington had a lot of really good things to say, but he specifically said, change is not an event, it's a process. And I think as artists, we go through a lot of different changes and we want it to just change and be done and just arrive where we want to where we want to get, arrive at our destination. But he that very, very simple sentence, like change is not an event, it's a process, helped me to know that like, you know, it's going to be good sometimes, it's going to be hard sometimes, it's going to be, you know, sometimes it's just going to be in the middle ground or in the gray area. But at the end of the day, you know, it's a process and, and whatever part of the process you're in is okay because there's change that's happening and you won't always be able to see the destination depending on what part of the process you're in, but it's coming and that's that's what you have to to comfort yourself with. And I thought that was really great. So those were um, two of the things that I heard on that particular panel. There was a, produ a producer's panel with Javon Franklin and Deborah Martin Chase. Um, and it, I don't know, it was just a really, really good weekend. I didn't get to stay for a lot of the different um, panels, but I did get to poke in 
here and there and have some wonderful conversations with some veteran actors like Harry Lennox. Um, it was a really, really wonderful weekend. So if you're looking to come to LA and you want to be a part of something like that, they have it every year. So it'll be happening around the same time next year. You should follow them on Facebook or on Twitter and they'll definitely be giving out more information about it. But it was a really, really wonderful weekend. Um, so moving right along, uh, Colin Kaepernick, who is a part of the San Francisco 49ers team is receiving a lot of flack because he is refusing to stand for the national anthem. I say to him, good for him. He is refusing to stand because he um, is sitting in support of those who are left out of the liberties and freedoms of America that America has to offer. Speaking specifically about people of color, especially black people, especially speaking on the Black Lives Matter movement and how people who are supposed to be serving and protecting us are killing us in the streets and getting away with it. He has actually said these words. He's spoken on our two presidential candidates, how Hillary Clinton referred to black people as, uh, I can't remember the exact words. I'm pretty sure it was something like monsters. Um, and how Donald Trump is just a blatant, raging racist and how those are the two people we have to choose from. And so they're a part of systemic racism at the very top level in our country and in our government. And, um, here's the thing guys about the national, about the national anthem that we all sing, that we all love. I really don't respect any national anthem other than the ones sung by Whitney Houston, but your anthem is just not more important than people's lives. Um, the flag has not kept all of us safe. And if, you know, all lives matter, why is this so hard to understand that we're speaking specifically about one of the lives underneath the all and saying until those lives are actually represented in the all that we speak about, I'm going to refuse to sing this song that's supposed to incorporate every single American, no matter the color of their skin, no matter where they're from, no matter, you know, what their um, cultural background is or financial background is, the anthem is supposed to speak for all of us. The flag is supposed to protect all of us. And it hasn't. And that's the point that he's trying to make. Um, and he's made it actually very, very well. And he's spoken very eloquently about why he's making the stance. And it's just so interesting to me because when there's protests and when there's rallies, a lot of the all lives matter or blue lives matter people will say, well, I'm okay with people speaking up for how they feel, but it doesn't have to be a protest. It doesn't have to be shutting down streets. And it doesn't have to be destroying property. It doesn't have to be screaming on the corner. You know, it can be silent. It can be nonviolent. It can be whatever, whatever. And here is the like a direct reflection of all of these things that are supposed to make our voices be heard more. The silent, the nonviolent, the, you know, have a conversation. This man is literally just sitting down. Um, he actually didn't even first say that he was sitting down. He was just sitting um, during preseason games, during the national anthem. And someone asked him why, and he said why. And to me, this has been one of the best conversation starters because, you know, ever since that's happened, the conversation has continued on the internet, on, on the news, on ESPN, 
et cetera, et cetera. And although there are a lot of people who are have taken a very ignorant stance on it, a lot of people are understanding and are seeing the argument that so many of us have been trying to make, that we love America, we love the country we grew up in, but that country has not always loved us back. And we're in a very, very volatile, oftentimes violent, sometimes lethal um, relationship with this country. And even those who are not directly affected, because Colin Kaepernick, yes, he's, he's biracial, yes, he's very rich, yes, he probably has been afforded a lot of things because he's an athlete, he's still a Black man. And when he's riding to work or when he's, you know, sitting amongst his friends who may not be famous, who may not be rich or whatever it may be, he knows that his existence as a Black man is still the same as every other Black man in the in the country. Whether you're rich or poor or biracial or whatever, you still have to confront the issues of racism in this country. And if not racism, just prejudice. And it's apparent in how he's being handled. If this doesn't prove the point that he's trying to make, I don't know what else does. I mean, he's been called a traitor. He's been called a nigger, ER, <laughs> on it. Um, he's been called everything in the book because he wants to sit during the national anthem, during a song that he feels like has not, that this country hasn't lived up to, this anthem that we all claim to love and, and all of that. And so I'm very proud of him. I'm very proud of him for taking that stance. I'm very proud of him for starting to break down this idea that if you are a rich Black person or educated Black person or a successful Black person, that you're somehow exempt from the, the prejudice, from the racism that is tearing our country apart. There's no exemption from it because you are who you are outside of what you do, no matter where you go. So I think he's done a really, really amazing job of standing up for what he believes in, for not cowering when people have asked him, you know, questions, especially questions that are are misleading or questions that are disrespectful, he's been very, very above it. And there was a hashtag on Twitter, Veterans for Kaepernick, because this conversation became a thing of like, what about the veterans who fight for you and do this and do that? These are also the same veterans who, when they come back from wars, we don't have the proper resources to take care of them. We don't get them the proper mental help that they need or sometimes the medical help. There, Some of them are so messed up, they're unable to have jobs and we don't take care of them. However, in this situation, it's all about the veterans. And this hashtag came across Twitter, a bunch of veterans supporting his right to sit until every citizen in this country is treated with respect, veterans included. So, you know, all of this, all of this has been very heavy, but to me, very beautiful because Let's face it, America is a country that absolutely worships celebrity, it worships money, it represents, it worships fame. And so this idea that a person this rich, this famous can also be willing to put everything at stake to stand for what people in Chicago, in Baltimore, in New Orleans, in Detroit, in everywhere, St. Louis, all everywhere have been saying for the last, I don't know, four or five years 
um, demanding and protesting and marching and crying and being beaten up in the streets and killed and everything else to make these points, a person willing to do that is so great. And it makes it so the conversation doesn't become this thing about just these ragged thugs in the ghetto uh, wanting to be able to just go in neighborhoods and do whatever they want. Like, no, this guy is a law-abiding citizen and he's a part of America's favorite Sunday pastime, good old foosball. Um, so I'm in complete support of Colin and I'm not a really big football fan at all, but I will definitely be supporting him. Any game, any 49ers game they show on TV, I will be watching and rooting for him. Um, and also, I mean, this 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 thing, I feel like I've talked about this on the show before, but a lot of times, you know, people will invoke Dr. King or Muhammad Ali and all these people in situations like these without really knowing what these people stood for. I think Dr. King, there's a fairy tale idea of Dr. King and a fairy tale idea of Muhammad Ali now, apparently, in which these people just spoke out about things and then just waxed poetic about things and and never um, never took sides and, you know, and just was full of love. And they were full of love. Muhammad Ali was full of love and Dr. Martin Luther King was full of love. But they spoke openly in a lot of the ways that Jesse Williams and Colin Kaepernick and the D. Ray McKesson and Go the, the Crystals and all Kid Fury, all these people, the way they talk were the same way the leaders that we romanticize spoke about race and about inequality. And this idea or this this tendency to erase their radicalism and replace it with this romantic fairy tale you know, all lives matter, um, peace to the Middle East type of thing is really, really aggravating. And it actually is very disrespectful to their legacies because Muhammad Ali, for one, was very, very, very open about how he felt about the inequalities that Black people face in this country. It was the reason why he refused to go fight in the war and why he would, would rather spend time in prison, get his boxing license revoked, all of that to take a stand in favor of black people in this country and the idea that he's being used against Colin Kaepernick in this in this situation is it blows my mind it's like people have totally forgotten that Muhammad Ali was he was a radical man he was he was a revolutionary and he did not hide behind anything any part of his race or any part of his fame or celebrity. He didn't hide behind any of that. He always was out front fighting the fight for all of us. So before you get ready to say, well, well, Ali was a true champion. He had real issues he was talking about. And you put that on Facebook or Twitter or whatever as this radical notion. I want you just to just take a second, step back and go on the internet and look up some of Muhammad Ali's speeches some of his interviews, the things that he said, he was very, very, very outspoken about race and about what we faced as black people in this country and what he felt America should do and how America should step up to protect its citizens because we are citizens just as much as anyone else. So, you know, this MLK Ali thing that I keep seeing with, with these like, I don't know, after school program <laughs> depictions of these two leaders is really too much. It really has to stop.
and especially being used against Black people who decide to use their fame or celebrity to speak up is is sickening. And not in a good way. It's not sickening. It's sickening. Like, give it up. So that's my take on the Kaepernick issue. It's, I'm, I don't know how long we're going to talk about it. I think it's probably going to be for quite some more time. Um, I think he did make it through, like, the cut process. I know they're, like, cutting people. I'm not really sure how the NFL works. I tried to watch Hard Knocks a couple times. Um, shout out to John Marsh. But, um, yeah, football's not really my thing. But, like I said, go 49ers. <laughs> um, so, the VMAs happened. And uh, Rihanna was given the Michael Jackson Vanguard Award. And I just quickly want to say, here's the thing. I love me some Riri. I think she's um, a good time. She looks like she lives on her own, you know, her own regard. She doesn't care what anybody thinks. She's very confident, very beautiful girl, very stylish. But I have this issue with um, fame being also put side by side with actual impact and influence. Um, I do think that Rihanna's influential. Do I think she's influential in the way that a person like Michael Jackson is? No. And this is why. Um, for one, her career hasn't spanned as long as Michael Jackson's has, clearly. And I don't necessarily think you have to have a career that spans that long, but I do think it needs to hit those points before you can be included in the same breath as. And this is not hating on Rihanna. She absolutely should do exactly what she did, go accept her award and be cute and be beat down and have a costume change and be adorable and have a great time as she always does. Um, but I think for all of us, like this idea of, I always hear people say, well, you know, who are our new Michael Jackson? Who are our new Stevie Wonders? Or who are our blah, blah, blah. But at the same time, we don't protect the legacy of those people because we so easily put other people into that grouping or into that category and call you know, this person or that person, the next Whitney or the next Michael or the next whatever. And we don't protect the legacy of those people. Michael Jackson, Michael Jackson, Michael Joseph Jackson. Like, like I said, I like Robin Rihanna Fenty. I think she's a good time, but we're literally putting her in the same conversation as even if we just take out like the fact that the Jackson five and all and all of that part of Michael Jackson's life. And we just deal with Michael Jackson, the solo artist. We're talking about the man who made Off the Wall, the man who made Thriller, the man who made Bad, the man whose videos would premiere on national TV, on international TV. Like, we would stay up to watch the making of his videos and the premiere. And Rihanna is being put in that same category. I just... I don't know. I, I, I feel a way about that. And it could be because I'm also an artist and I feel like if you're going to work on legacy, then you don't want your legacy to then, to then, once you're gone, be just handed to anyone who's famous or anyone who's able to create popularity for themselves. And it's not that Rihanna's music isn't fun. It's not that she doesn't give you a cute little shimmy or a cute little beat in these videos. But I mean, we're talking about videos that until this day, people still learn the choreography to Thriller. People still to this day are dressing like the Remember the Time video. I mean, this is like endless, just gonna be there forever in history videos and art that Michael Jackson created. 
And this award is named after him. And we've seen it given to quite a few people now who I'm like, really? Hmm. Okay. And so I just, I just feel like we have to protect legacy. We really have to demand more from artists. Like even a person like Rihanna, who's like super fun or whatever, Rihanna can't sing and she can't dance. And that's just what it is, but she's a good time. So I just think that we, when we're talking about legacy and we're talking about icons, I think we need to either do one of two things. We either need to make a subcategory, subcategory of iconic where we can put the Madonnas and the Rihannas and the people who are really more of like culture icons, like cultural style icons, people who recreate themselves on every album, who recreate their style every time they come out, who influence what people are wearing or how they're wearing their hair. I think that's one category of people. And then you have another category where you have the Stevie Wonders and you have the Smokey Robinsons and Diana Ross and the Michael Jacksons and the you can put Beyonce in there now. You can put Tupac in there. You can even put like Puff Daddy because there's people in our generation who changed music. You know, bad, the bad boy era changed music. It changed how we heard things. Pharrell, you can put in that category. These are people who changed music. They changed a part, their part of the industry in a way. Missy Elliott can go there. Timbaland can go there. I mean, people who changed sonically how we, what we expected out of music. These are icons. These are someone who I'm like, if you're going to give a Michael Jackson award to someone, I can see a Pharrell. I can see someone who like, whose talent is just undeniable or who changed music in a way that we're never going to see again. But it's like, you know, we can't just reward every single person, every girl that we think dresses cute and who we would be like, I would like to be her friend one day isn't an icon. Um, and that's just my feeling on, on Riri, but she had a good night. She got the award. Drake was there. Drake came. People said he got curved. I don't know. He went in for a kiss. He proclaimed to the world that he's been in love with Rihanna since he was 22 years old. What man hasn't been, but it looks like they're dating or at least their publicist wants us to think they're dating and they seem like they're having a good time. I'm sure in a couple of weeks, you know, they'll be sending subliminal messages to each other on Instagram, you know, how their Hollywood relationships go. But if they are really together, it would be cute to just see them like be normal people and go out on dates and like kiss and whatever else they're going to do. That happened. Um, and then Beyonce stumped through the VMAs once again, put on a show for about, I don't know how long her set was, like 15 minutes. She did the entire Lemonade album for the most part, had um, the Mothers of the Movement better known as the mothers of Trayvon Martin, Sean Bell, Michael Brown, and I can't think of the other for Oscar Grant. Um, all of their sons were gunned down by police officers, except Trayvon Martin, whose killer was a fake police officer. Um, they were all there. They're all part of Lemonade, the actual visual project. And she brought them on the red carpet of the VMAs. They all looked beautiful, stunning. She also had Chloe and Hallie. I am a huge fan of those two girls. They are super talented. If you don't know who they are, you should go on YouTube and get your entire life. But Beyonce signed them. They're a wonderful duo of sisters with amazing voices. 
an amazing style. And they're also on the cover of Paper Magazine. So Beyonce brought all of them on the red carpet with her, along with her dancers and Blue Ivy, her daughter, who looked like she was way over all the attention. It was reported that Beyonce actually left the carpet early because Blue had had enough and Beyonce was being a mama bear and she was like, y'all screaming at my baby, so it's time for us to go. But that did not stop her from being presented or introduced by Serena Williams and coming out and putting on an entire show full of beautiful visuals. And she just did it. I mean, you know, hey. And this whole thing about people being like, well, it was Rihanna's night and Beyonce came through and did this performance. Well, here's the thing. You don't have to dim your light for anybody. Okay, Rihanna knew it was her night. She knew she was getting this award. Beyonce performs like Beyonce every single time. She knew that she was on the bill with Beyonce. I am sorry, okay? So that was that. Um, but in the middle of all of this, Kanye West got up and said some words, you know, talked about some stuff, you know, did his normal narcissism monologue. And then he debuted this video that has now taken over the internet. It's called Fade. It stars Tiana Taylor, who is a singer and dancer. She's also fiance to Cleveland Cavaliers player Iman Shumpert and mother to their adorable little baby, who I think is like nine months or something. Anyway, the short of the long of it is that she slays this video. Her body is fantastic. She dances. She's very free and sexy and all these things. And she had every woman in the gym bright and early on Monday morning, including myself. Um, but she also has incredible genetics. <laughs> and um, But I think it's always great when black women say, I'm going to go get in the gym, or when all women say, I'm going to go get in the gym for me so that I can have, you know, push towards my own ideal body or body type or body weight or body look. Um, and so I hope everybody's going about that in a healthy way, but remembering that genetics are... They do play a big part in how you look. Um, and Tiana looks amazing, and she's great in the video. And I'm glad that people get to see her. Um, I wrote an article about her a couple years ago. She's a very, very smart woman, very, very talented, and very, very real. And I think that's great. And she's been signed to good music for quite some time. She has an album out. It's actually very, very good. And I really enjoyed it. And it's a very R&B album. And she has a tour. So when John Taylor comes to your city, go check her out. And in the meantime, you can check her out in Kanye West's Fade video. She is phenomenal in it. And she also there's also a little bit of cameo from her husband and her baby in it. And yeah, she slayed. She just, she slayed. So she's perfect. I tried to tell y'all that a long time ago when I wrote that article about her. She's the bomb, and that is that. So I, I quickly want to touch on this, because this person I'm a huge fan of, and I can't understand why she's in these streets acting a fool. Brandy Norwood. If you know me, you know I love Brandy. I think she's one of the most talented people in the world. Um, and I just don't understand why she has turned into this like very, very petty woman. She... If you follow her on Instagram, she's been posting a lot of like really random things with random captions that go from, you know, being very motivational to being kind of shady. So if you're a social media person, you know, the So Gone Challenge was Monica's song, So Gone, that Missy produced. 
I believe Missy came up with a challenge, basically people rapping over the So Gone beat. It became really, really popular. We all love that song. Everybody loves Monica. Monica is one of those legends to me, especially just vocally. She's an R&B legend for sure. And a fan went on Brandy's Instagram, one of her posts, and said, will you do the So Gone challenge? And she responded, child, bye. Okay. So not an issue, whatever. You probably wouldn't have even caught it unless, you know, you were on the shade room or something. But she then made an additional post that was her holding the sign that said, child, bye. And the comment or caption was like, uh, challenges, challenges are the new thing. Um, I couldn't make a challenge and make myself relevant again. And all this very shady things that were pointed towards Monica, one would have to guess. Her and Monica did a single together and then did some press together and they seemed like they were cool and then they just kind of split ways again. But I don't know. I mean, any Brandy fans out there who follow her on Instagram will know what I'm talking about. She just seems like she's in a bad place and I'm just like, she's just acting like Ray J, kind of. Like, for all these years, Ray J was like the Norwood kid who everybody was like, mm, what is wrong? And now I feel like Brandy is doing that, and she's so talented, and she's already a legend. Everybody respects Brandy, respects her talent, and, I mean, she's made some of the best songs in R&B history and has one of the best voices ever, period. And I, I hate to see her acting like that, so... If you've noticed and you want to sound off on Brandy, send me an email, diaryofaworkingactress at gmail.com. I'm just like, pull it together. You know, if you're unhappy in your own life, if there's something in your own life that you're missing, fine. But, you know, trying to drag other people down for whatever reason is just not okay. And that shade towards Monica was just not necessary. It was so ugly. And it just showed like a really ugly side of her. It was very disappointing. And yeah, that was my feeling on that. Um, and then I guess I'm going to talk about what I saw, but I won't do it right now. I would do it later for what I'm watching. I was able to see a really, really, really amazing film, um, thanks to my friends at MoviePass, and I will talk a little bit about that at the end of the show, but right now we're going to go ahead and do our first break, and then I will be right back with answers from an actress. Hey guys, this episode of Diary of a Working Actress is sponsored by MoviePass. If you're like me, you are gearing up to see all of the hottest films that come out to beat the Academy Award rush, and you're going to be shelling out so much money to see every single film when you could only be spending $30 a month to see every single film you want to see in theaters. You don't have to wait. You don't have to try to borrow anyone's screeners. You can go straight to the theater, get your popcorn, sit down, and have a movie experience just by going to moviepass.com slash partner slash working actress and starting your subscription today. Today, head on over to moviepass.com slash partner slash working actress and uh, tell them I sent you. Now let's get back into the show. Hey guys, so we're back and it's time for answers from an actress. As always, you can send me your questions at diaryofaworkingactress at gmail.com. Um, these are actually questions that I got from some people at the Merge Summit. And I want to answer them here on the show because I think a lot of you probably have the same questions. 
one of the main questions I got over and over were was how to make a really good film with limited funds. Now, we all know that there are a lot of things available like GoFundMe, Kickstarter, et cetera, et cetera. But I did hear a lot of people saying that they didn't really get as much support as they thought they would. They didn't get a lot of support from friends and family or from other people, other peers in the industry who they thought would probably support them, but didn't. And they were, weren't able to reach their goals and get their money from those sites, which is, you know, one of the cons of going about the crowdfunding route, because it can be hard and you have to depend on the, you know, the help of strangers. So one thing that I kept telling people is that it's more about strategy and quality of work than it is the amount of money that you have. Um, because a lot of people rely on money or backing or finances as an excuse to not go after finishing their projects or making their projects. And what I found in doing my own project was that it really doesn't matter how much money you have. You honestly have to have absolute confidence in your project. You have to have passion for the project and for the story that you're telling. And with those two things, you can get people who are willing to volunteer their services to you for very little or for nothing at all just because they believe in your project. So confidence to me is the best currency because if you're confident in your project, then people will be confident in you and they'll want to help you because they'll feel like their work or whatever they give to your project is going to be seen, is going to be used to the best of its ability because they believe that you believe enough in your project to push it and to market it and to advertise it. So for me, that was what I relied on. I relied on, you know, making promises to people that any project that they worked on with me, that the right people would see it, that they would be able to walk away from that project and use it to better their own careers or, you know, to add to their reel or whatever. I just always know that the work I put forward is going to be my very best and that I'm always going to have a strategy in terms of rolling out whatever I do so that it you know, helps everyone who's involved until it gets to a place where everybody can get a big check from helping me out. Um, so that's what I do. Of course, grants are out there. They're available. Investors are out there. They're, they're available. And to me, going the private route sometimes works better than going the public because you just never know how people are going to respond to your project. A lot of times, um, new filmmakers and new talents don't have the reach that some of the other people who have a long list of connections or whatever may have in order to, you know, share their Kickstarter link or share their GoFundMe link or whatever it may be for their project. Um, and that can be a little bit hard. It can be very, very disappointing when you're, and discouraging when you're trying to raise money for a project and not getting it. So, you know, you just want to make sure that you're not using money or lack, you know, money or lack thereof to be an excuse to not do something. Because I that's literally what I found is that it's more about quality than it is about money. And it's the project and the, you know, the quality of the art and quality of the story that you're telling that usually helps you put everything together. And don't confuse money for quality because... I, you know, I talked to a lot of people who were like, oh, I want to get the best camera, but you can get the best camera and have a crappy DP and it doesn't matter that <laughs> the camera is great if the DP doesn't know how to get the right shots. Or, you know, you can have a great camera and have a director that's so-so who doesn't understand how to tell a story cinematically. Um, so 
You know, it's more about the talent behind everything else than it is the expense behind everything. Um, I think the biggest misconception in terms of making your own projects is the more expensive it is, the bigger the budget, the better it's going to be. But we see films with huge budgets every day become complete flops because the story is what people are there for. That's what they want to feel. That's what they want to connect to. That's why there are web series that are now being turned into TV shows that didn't necessarily have amazing, amazing budgets and weren't amazingly shot, but the story was there and it was rooted in something real that people could relate to. So worry less about money and financing and all that and worry more about story and getting the right talent behind your project. And, you know, ask people to do you favors. If you believe that strongly in your work and you believe that you're going to continue to make work, then you know that at some point you'll be able to pay them back. For, for the help that they give you on any project. So, you know, that's what I say. That's my answer to that question, the m question about money and making your own project without it. Um, confidence is another question I kept getting. How to be confident going into rooms. I met a lot of, most of this question came from women. I talked to some men that day, but most of the women had the same question about confidence, about going into rooms, about oh, I don't have the best teeth or the best body or the best hair or the best this or the best that. And I don't have the money to fix any of those things. And so how do I go into the room and just, you know, and not feel like they're just looking at all my insecurities. And to that, I say, you have to stop looking at your insecurities as strikes against you. You're the only person that's insecure about whatever you're insecure about. You're the only person who's insecure about you having five extra pounds than you did when you first moved here or about, your teeth, one of your teeth being longer than the other in the front or whatever it may be. No one ever knows what they're looking for. So your confidence, once again, going back to that, be the thermostat and not the thermometer thing is that no, you, your confidence has to be so strong that a person could literally spit in your face and you would be like, and I'm still beautiful and I'm still the most talented person in this room. Um, and if you don't have that, then the confidence is never going to be there in the room. You have to be relentless in your love for yourself. You have to be relentless, literally, in this business. There, there has to be an unshakable love for you that whether you get a job in your first year here or whether you don't get a job until your 20th year here, that you still love you and you still believe in you. And um, I think that's the only way to go. And so even if it takes, you know, writing little notes to yourself all around the house or refusing to be on social media, refusing to follow women whose bodies or faces or talent or careers or whatever make you feel less than, you got to create a sanctuary for yourself where you can focus on loving and treasuring yourself. Because if you don't, this industry is going to eat you alive. And so that's my answer to that. And because those weren't like, direct questions from the email, those are also be my journal entry for today because I really, really believe that like this idea of loving yourself and being utterly confident in what you bring to the table and redefining beauty for yourself and redefining perfection for yourself, all of those things matter so much more than any part of this industry ever will. Because the last thing you want is to get everything you, you know, ever wanted from this industry 
and hate yourself and not be able to look at yourself in the mirror and have to go to a doctor every month to get something sucked or moved or made smaller or made bigger or whatever. You don't want to have to do that to yourself. It's it's hard. You I can you can see it when you're living here. You can see the people who are unhappy with themselves and how it eats away and eats away until they're just a shell of themselves. So you don't want to be that. You want to live free and you want to you want to live a whole life and you know you want to nip in the bud all of the stuff with yourself you know you and you need to have you time every day in which y'all talk openly about what you want to fix and what you love and equally you know you can't always be telling yourself oh god i wish i need i need this i need better teeth i need a smaller waist, I need clearer skin, I need better hair, I need this, I need that. Sometimes you need to just spend some time with yourself saying, these are all the great things that we already have. Girl, we killing it. Or man, we're killing it. And let yourself feel some love from you because it gets hard. And if you don't have at least that person, that person being yourself that you can trust to be there for you, it's going to be really, really hard. So that is my answer to the confidence question. And that that's like my answers from an actress as well as my diary entry for the week. And when we come back, I will be talking about uh, what I'm watching and what I got to see this weekend. Thanks to my lovely friends at MoviePass. All right. Hey, guys, this episode of Diary of a Working Actress is sponsored by MoviePass. MoviePass is America's number one movie subscription service. Head on over to moviepass.com slash partner slash working actress to start your subscription today. Now let's get back into the show. All right, guys, so it's time for what I am watching. Um, I got to see Southside with you last weekend, and it was so adorable and just... Uh, it gave me all the feels. I am so obsessed with uh, President Obama and First Lady Michelle Obama. I just think they're so amazing. And to watch the story of their first date with Tika Sumter playing uh, First Lady Michelle, she was actually amazing. Her, vo- her vocal work was so good. And she was actually, um, her vocal coach is actually my teacher from University of Minnesota Guthrie Theater, Elisa Carlson also worked on Selma and she's just amazing she's an amazing amazing dialect coach she's great and she helped uh, Tika really nail down Michelle's dialect so it was a ton of fun to watch that and to know that someone who taught me was there working on a set um it was really nice to see I loved Parker Parker Sawyers he played uh President Obama clearly he was so good and so charming. And I remember when I first saw the pictures being like, this guy doesn't look like President Barack Obama. Like, ooh, what? Um, but when you watch the movie, you completely understand why he was cast. He has that charm and that smile and that confidence that, you know, drew us all to POTUS and um, kept us loving him over these eight years while he's, you know, had so many trying times in the White House, but it was so nice as like kind of the last hurrah as they're about to leave the White House to watch them fall in love and see the start of their relationship and really be able to see who they are as people. And, you know, it touched on little bits and parts of their lives, like um, 
for example, Michelle Obama's father had uh, MS and she was, you know, living at home, helping her mother take care of him and how she loves her brother, who's a basketball coach who we know about now because we, you know, have had them as our first family for the last eight years and how Barack had a very strange relationship with his own father and how he had to, you know, overcome that anger and that disappointment in his own father to become the man that he is today and how he had a different view of, of racism and of people and all that because of his mixed up background. When I say mixed up, I don't just mean because his mother's white and his father's Nigerian, but because he just had a really different life than most people, but he still found this connection to the black community and to wanting to focus on black issues and, it was just really beautiful. It's not very long. It's a very short film, as you can imagine, because it happens in a span of, you know, a day that they spend together. And But it also touches on a lot of the issues that I think a lot of Black people feel, especially when you're entering predominantly white spaces, um, like the world of law or in places like Harvard or whatever, where you feel like you speak for the entire community. And uh, Michelle touches on it a lot about being one of the only black women faces in her company and not wanting to be seen going out with the cute black guy who comes in and uh, not wanting to be seen as that, as just this, you know, black girl. And it was just really nice. There were some really, really beautiful moments and it features the paintings of Ernie Barnes, who is famous for the painting that shows at the beginning of Good Times and doing all the paintings for Good Times that JJ ends up painting. But um, most of us grew up with at least one Ernie Barnes picture in our homes or in our barbershop or, you know, in the fish spot that you went to with your parents. And so seeing all of those little things sprinkled among the film just made it feel very real. And it, it's not that far away from where we are now. It happens in the, in the 80s, which we, most of us can remember. So it was really nice to, like, see that um I don't know it just gave me all the feels I felt very fuzzy and wonderful and warm and I was just very very excited to see it so um head on over to movie pass <laughs> and get you your subscription and go see Southside with you uh, Tika Sumter is also a producer on it along with John Legend so there's all types of black girl magic and black boy joy all through it it's really really awesome to see you know young Black actresses and actors and singers and rappers going behind the scenes and producing stories that we would love to see. It's just really awesome. So support that entire cast. Go out, see the movie. Um, what else have I been watching? I've been watching Vice Principals on HBO still. I think I talked about that. I just finished watching The Night Of. It was phenomenal. I want to work on HBO so badly. It was so good. Um, I just, uh, I was so impressed by Riz Ahmed, who plays the lead character Nas. I thought he was fantastic, especially in just creating a nice shift in a character that was very subtle, but very heartbreaking. And it's also a, a heartbreaking look at what the correctional system does to people, especially to young men, especially the young men of color. Oh, it was just so heartbreaking. And um, 
Yeah, I was really, really moved by the project. John Torturo, who I think is absolutely amazing in everything, is phenomenal in this as well. He plays Stone, the first legal attorney to decide to take on Riz's case. It's just a very good cast, very, very good cast. Michael K. Williams, who's in everything that HBO does now. Ugh, he's so lucky. Um, he's really, really good in it. Um, and yeah, I really enjoyed it and I'm finished with it and I, I love it. Um, and I'm looking forward to the next series from HBO. And yeah, that was pretty much all I watched. <laughs> I watched Outside With You and I watched a whole lot of the night of for the entire week since the last time I talked to you guys on this show. So if there's anything that you're watching that you're excited about, email me at diaryofaworkingactress at gmail.com. Some of you said that you're excited. You also wrote me and said you were excited about seeing Insecure. Me too. Um, I'm excited about Narcos coming back tomorrow on Netflix. Yes, let's get it. Narcos was my junk. I loved it. Um, um, can't think of anything else. So you guys tell me what you're excited about and I'm all down for it. I, I need to catch up on Power. Someone asked me why I didn't say anything about Power. I haven't seen any of this season yet. Yes, I already know a lot has been spoiled for me, but um, I'm going to watch and then I'll talk about it, but I haven't watched any of it yet. So that's that. Um, I will see you guys here next week with a big announcement about something that I'm working on. And I hope you guys all will like it, all gravitate towards it. If you are uh, friends with me on Facebook, I wrote a little bit about it. I also wrote a little bit about it on Twitter. Um, and I'm really excited for you guys to see it. It's literally one of my favorite projects that I've ever done thus far. And I'm hoping that it will be, you know, wonderful and amazing and beautiful and enriching to the lives of women and young girls and men. So I think it's going to be great and I can't wait to talk about it on the show and I will talk to you guys next week.